everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I am your host, as always, Carrie Parker, and this is the big one. This is the 200th episode. I cannot believe it's been almost four years since I started this. And we've got a great show for the 200th episode. We've got none other than Bruce Schneier, literally world-renowned crypto expert, security guru. He has testified before Congress. He's written many books. He's been on the boards of many companies, and he's just a really great guy. He was here for my 100th episode as well. And he's back for the 200th, so we've established precedent, and I just couldn't think of a better person to do it. So that'll be great. That interview is coming up in just a minute. And I was thinking back on this, and, you know, as I was trying to figure out what kind of stuff I was going to include in this episode, and I was kind of thinking back and thinking about how I got here. And I I don't know that I've ever covered this before, and I thought it might be interesting to some of the, especially some of the newer newer listeners. Uh, if you'll indulge me for just a minute, <laughs> here's how we got to 200 episodes. So I was originally... I, so I wrote the book and, and somebody contacted me and said, Hey, I've got a show on, you know, security and privacy. And I'd like you to be a guest on my podcast. I'm like, Oh yeah, great. I'd never done that before. And I thought that'd be really cool. And the guy's name is David Boron. And he had a podcast that he called George Orwell 2084. And this was on a, a web network called America out loud. I'd never heard of that before either, but you know, I thought, sure, I'll go on this guy's show. And this was December 14th, 2016. So just over four years ago, and we talked about some security topic. I forget what it was. And he brought me back again about a month later on January 12th. And then out of nowhere, about a month after that, on February 23rd, 2017, David reached out to me and said, you know what? I've got this other business I'm starting and I just don't have time to do this podcast. Would you like to take over my podcast? And I had never considered doing such a thing. But he, I mean, he needed to get out right away. And if I was going to do this, I needed to take over like in two weeks. So, you know, I had to look at the network and look and there's like, I don't know, there's maybe a 10 shows or so on this podcasting network. And I, they were quite obviously very politically motivated. And that was kind of a turnoff because, you know, I'm a political person, but I try not to bring that into this discussion because to me, security and privacy are non-political things. They affect everybody. They are nonpartisan issues. You know, so I talked to the head of the, the head of the network. You know, I swear to God, the guy's name is Malcolm Outloud. I that's what his email says. I couldn't find anything that said different. I surely he must have changed his name, or maybe that's just a stage name, and I couldn't somehow figure out his real name. But he was quite the character. Uh, actually, a really great guy, and um, but very type A, very outgoing. Sounded like a radio personality. And pretty intense. Uh, but anyway, this, you know, I talked to him about it and he kind of talked me into it. And the way this worked at the time, it's, he was providing the network. So I actually had to pay him to be on this network and to take over the show. And it, it was not a small amount. And he even made a special deal for me. <laughs> it was still not a small amount, especially since my business at the time, I, mean, I was a working software engineer. I'd, this was a side thing. I mean, this show wasn't making any money, but it came with an audience, right? I mean, I could basically walk into a show that already had an audience. So if I was ever going to start a podcast, what a great way to do it. So I said, okay, I'll give this a try. So the first episode of this podcast, and I told him, I, you know, I, I, if I'm going to do this, I need to rebrand it. This has got to be my show. So it's going to be called Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Uh, and it's going to be, you know, security and privacy stuff. And he said, absolutely. So we signed a contract and I started doing the show. The first show was March 8th of 2017. And I immediately kind of took on this, you know, toggling back and forth between new shows and interview shows. And I was up and running every week. I was cranking out another podcast and I did this for, for about a year and, you know, it was costing a lot of money and 
the way they do their shows, because it is kind of a network thing where they play your show uh, in a time slot, I had 60 minutes that I had to fill every week. And usually I have no trouble filling 60 minutes. The problem is going over that. But for whatever reason, I had to give, you know, I had to meet that exact time thing. And because they had commercials, they inserted and, you know, station identification and all this stuff, you know, I had like 53 minutes plus or minus a minute that I had to give them every single week. And I found that to be really constraining and really difficult because I either had to pad it up or cut it down. And, and, and so finally, after about a year of this and paying all the money, I'm like, you know what? I just, I got, I'm going to keep doing this, but I got to do it on my own. And, you know, Malcolm was nice about that, but basically in the contract, what it says, if you're, if you're leaving, then you've got to give three months notice, uh, or pay him anyway. And so that's why David, when he turned it over to me, he was in a hurry to get, you know, to get out and get a replacement. So I did the same thing. I found somebody, or actually they found somebody, uh, to, to fill the time slot and then let me out a little bit early. And I went off on my own. And ever since then, uh, I've been doing this myself, which was totally the way for me to go. Though it was, Again, Malcolm's a nice guy. I, I, I owe him a lot for getting this all started and David, but I'm, I'm real glad to be doing this on my own now. I, that's where I needed to be. So my first show on my own uh, was December 10th, 2018. So about two years ago. And since then, uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, I've had about 59 different guests so far to date. And today I bring back one of my favorites, Bruce Schneier. But that's not all. We've got a lot of other stuff going on today. So for one, I've got a massive giveaway. I had a pretty cool giveaway for the 100th episode. I thought that was really neat. I, you know, when the fourth edition of the book came out, I had another giveaway that was pretty cool. But man, this one just takes the cake. I mean, <laughs> I went back and talked to many of the other people I've had on as guests and, you know, the companies that they represent. And they very, very generously donated a lot of things for me to give away. And when you add it all up, it's like 1800 bucks worth of stuff. So this is huge. It's a really big giveaway. Lots of great stuff. And there's going to be 10 winners and lots of ways to win. So uh, I'm not going to talk about that now. I'll do that after the interview with Bruce. But you're definitely going to listen to that and learn how to enter uh, some really cool stuff. So uh, stay tuned for that. And then, you know, 2020 has been such, uh, I keep calling it a dumpster fire. And it really, <laughs> it really has. It's just been a horrid year for, for so many reasons. But uh, for many other reasons, 2021 is looking like a much better year. I mean, you could argue that it couldn't be much worse, but you know, hey, it can always get worse. But there's lots of reasons to believe that this next year is going to be better. And because of the timing of this 200th episode, you know, right after Christmas and right before New Year's, I thought this would be the perfect time to have a very positive show to look forward, to look at a brighter future. And because of the timing, you know, what, a, you know, that kind of goes hand in hand with creating some New Year's resolutions where we can all improve our own lives. And so, uh, with those kind of guiding lights, those kind of themes for the show, uh, we'll be doing some new year's resolution ideas, some ways that you can improve your security and privacy for next year. And not just from me, but actually from some of the same people that, uh, past guests that, it, that donated some really cool stuff for the giveaway. I also got some audio snippets directly from them on, on ideas that they have for you to make things better in 2021. So we're going to play some of those. We're going to, I'm going to give you some of my own tips. And we're generally going to look forward and not look back. You know, so often my show is about bad things, you know, viruses and malware and scams and data breaches and all that stuff. Well, today we're going to talk about how we make things better. So once again, great show. And if, if you're just tuning in for the first time, you picked a great one to start with. And real quick, before we start the interview with Bruce, uh, we do throw out a few terms. And as I often like to do before you hear those terms, because we don't stop in the middle to define them. I want to just do a really quick, you know, explain what some of those things are. So when they do come up, you know what we're talking about. 
So we're going to be talking about a man named Sir Tim Berners-Lee, who is the father of the World Wide Web. Not the internet, but the World Wide Web. We'll talk about that. But um, he was at a place called CERN, C-E-R-N, when he came up with this whole idea of web pages and that linked to other web pages, the basis of our World Wide Web, when he was working there at CERN. And it's a, actually a French acronym, but the English uh, translation for that is the European Council for Nuclear Research, which obviously doesn't spell C-E-R-N again because the French does, but the English version doesn't. But he throws out the term CERN, and that's what that means. He also talks about the W3C, which is WWWC, or the World Wide Web Consortium. And that is the group of people, it's organizations and companies who get together and basically define how the web works. And one of the things we're going to be talking about today is a new proposal from Tim Berners-Lee about how we can improve the web, his baby, to protect our privacy better. And in particular, by giving us real control over our actual data. And that's what we'll be talking today with uh, Bruce about. And one more thing, <laughs> Bruce, Bruce talks about the government of Flanders. I, and I admit I had to look up where this was myself, but it's, this is Flanders is an area of northern Belgium. So when we talk about the government of Flanders, that's what we're talking about. So with that as a prologue, let's get into our interview with Bruce Schneier. Bruce Schneier is an internationally renowned technologist and security guru. He's the author of over one dozen books, including his latest, We Have Root, as well as hundreds of articles, essays, and academic papers. Uh, he's testified before Congress and has served on several government committees and corporate boards. And uh, last but not least, Bruce is the chief security architect at Interrupt Incorporated, which is what we'll be talking about today. Uh, he was last here for our 100th episode and has graciously agreed to come back for our big 200th. Uh, thanks so much for coming back, Bruce. God, I hope by number 300 I've retired. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so with the new year right around the corner uh, and the promise of better times in 2021, I think it was only appropriate to discuss your latest venture uh, and the goal of returning control of our data to ourselves. What a concept. Uh, hey, but before we get into that, before we dig into Interrupt and its novel approach to data ownership, uh, I thought it'd be good at least to you know briefly talk about Sir Tim Berners-Lee and his original version of the World Wide Web, and uh, you know maybe give our audience a little of that history for context. All right, so this is actually Tim Berners-Lee's vision, right, which is interrupt, which is solid. Tim Berners-Lee is, of course, the person who invented mm -hmm. the World Wide Web, the whole notion of uh, the web and web pages and web links. Uh, that's him. He was working at CERN in the '90s and. The internet today is largely because of him, which is sort of amazing yeah, to be that kind of visionary. So why did we end up with dystopia instead of utopia? Like, where did where did things go off the rails? I mean, wait, so we could spend a lot of time on that. <laughs> the bit that's important is that systems naturally centralize. Hmm. And the vision of the internet is decentralization. Everyone has an email address, and we're all peer-to-peer -peer sending emails to each other. Everyone has a web page. Everyone has a blog. So think about all these decentralized ways of making the Internet work, and that's kind of where we started. You know, now we don't send emails. We send messages via Facebook. So now mm. Facebook controls the message system, and it's not peer-to-peer. -peer. We don't have peer-to-peer uh, phone calls. You know, we, you and I are not doing this podcast right. via a peer-to-peer -peer audio system, which you could build. We're doing it via Skype. We could have been doing it 
using a couple of dozen different right. but centralized platforms. So basically, I think we're here because we build things that are decentralized and then central points appear. Even something like Bitcoin, designed to be wholly decentralized, mm. yet there are what? You know, three exchanges, right. four wallets, and a bunch of Chinese that are doing all the mining. Right. So centralization always appears. And Solid is Sir Tim's new idea to bring back some decentralization, this time around data. So he kind of lamented, I think, that, you know, kind of his baby kind of went astray and he saw where things were going. And I think he's referenced several things that we're all familiar with, like Cambridge Analytica and, and things like that. And so, something somewhere along the line in the last few years, it triggered him to come up with this new idea, which you're talking about, that he's called solid. So I have several questions about the details, but the, what is the high level gist of, of his proposal? And like specifically, what problem is it attempting to solve? So the, at a high level, solid is a system by which all of us have control of our data. Right now, our data is controlled by the collector. So if I have a fitness tracker, like a Fitbit, a lot of data, it's on Fitbit's website. I have access to it. Uh, my credit card data is on the credit card website. My email is on whatever email provider servers I am using, Google or Apple or somebody else's. So we have access to our data, but it's all in the places that the company that creates it with us or we create it for or has it. Uh, you know, I'm a frequent flyer on Delta. A lot of data is on Delta's servers. I have an account. I get to it. I can see it, but they have it. So what Solid does is it flips that sideways. <laughs> so instead of my data being in a bunch of places and I go get it when I want to see it, my data is all in one place and those companies go get it when they want to see it. So that's the main difference. And the problem it solves is that in the world of big data, lots of things will be generating data that you're going to want to have access to. And more importantly, you're going to want to combine in different ways. You're going to want to combine the data from, I'm going to make this up, your thermostat, refrigerator, your fitness tracker, uh, location data from your phone, and uh, Marriott Hotels stays. Right. Because there's some crazy app that uses all that data in some marvelous new way. And right now you can't do that. Because your data is all in those different places. Turn that sideways, the data is all in one place, and all of these sort of third-party data analysis, manipulation, aggregation, generation apps can appear. Also solves the problem of we don't have control of our data because mm. it's on all of those servers. Right. So... You know, if I want my doctor to see my Fitbit data, I have no easy way of doing that. Mm. I can give him my account information, my login, but that's stupid. Right, right. So this allows that. So let's go to like Marriott Hotels. Mm -hmm. Marriott Hotels, if, if they really asked them and said, do you really want all the data from your customers? <laughs> they would say, oh my God, no. <laughs> right? It's dangerous. Like it just gets hacked. We get in the press. It's really bad. All we want is to have access to it when we need it. Hmm. We don't want the liability of having it. 
well, we can do this, right? We're turning it sideways as a condition of I'm taking this up, my Marriott Hotel reservation. They get access to whatever data they need, my address, my credit card data, maybe my hotel stay history, whatever it is. And now Marriott can have that data without actually having to hold it, store it, secure it, keep it, and get in trouble when they get hacked. So that's at a very high level what we're talking about. Instead of your data being in a lot of places, your data is in one place, and a lot of people have varying degrees of access to it. Okay, so now now that you've laid that out, let's let's dig into some of those details because, as always, that is where the devil is. So, the devil is the details. I mean, and, and this is this is the problem of Sir Tim Berners Lee. He's brilliant. <laughs> he's a visionary, and then there are the details. <laughs> right. So he lays out this this vision, which is like, wow, that's fantastic. And then you know, getting from here to there is hard. Yeah. And he gets into the details in ways that you know impress me. And there's a lot of work to get from here to there. And now this is, I guess I said, this is an open standard, Mm -hmm. a W3C Mm. public domain Mm -hmm. standard. That's solid. And there are open, free implementations of it. Inrupt, which is the company that uh, Tim started, I'm a part of, is the commercialization of that. It's kind of like the Red Hat Mm. is to Linux. Yeah. Corrupt is to solid. Although people in the company really hate it when I use that analogy. I'm not sure why. So maybe I use it. Okay, everyone listening, forget I said that. <laughs> Done. Okay, so you, you're, you keep saying that all your data is not with them. It's with, well, uh, not even necessarily with you, but it's in one place. Is that, do you literally mean one place? And if so, where is that place? Who owns that place? Who runs and operates that place? All right, so it's, it's a good question. So... It's, it, I do mean it figuratively, not literally, like mm. I could mean it literally. So, right, this is Sir Tim, so anything's possible. <laughs> so you have something called a pod, and that is the name for your data store. So it is your pod. You control it. Now, it's likely in the cloud. It is virtual in that you could have several physical pods, and there's one virtual pod. So it could mm. be in several places at once. In Sir Tim's vision... It is something that you control. My belief is not going to be that way. So it's kind of like email. Mm. Like you could run your own email server mm-hmm. and have your email in your house at all times. And in the 90s, a lot of us techies did that. Mm-hmm. Right? We ran our own email servers. Nobody does that anymore. Right? We, our email is on Google. It's on Apple. It's on Yahoo. It's in Microsoft. It, it's sort of somewhere hosted. Right. Pods are going to be the same way, I think. So you'll have control of your pod, and you could, if you want, run a pod server in your home, in your company, that you have physical control of, or you could have it in the cloud and have physical control of it. But likely for most people, your pod will be like your email address. Google Google will host it. Apple will host it. It'll come with your phone. My vision, I think, was kind of neat. It would come with your home router. Hmm. So maybe it's physically stored in your home, in your router, and it's backed up in the cloud somewhere. Hmm. I mean, all these things are possible. Depending on your tech sophistication, you'll pick one. Now, even though it is stored like on Apple servers, doesn't necessarily mean Apple has access to it. Hmm. It could easily be encrypted so that they can't see it. Although you might, 
want Apple to have access to it. Just like now, if you have a Gmail account, you could have it end-to-end encrypted so that Google never sees your email. Hmm. You only see your device. But in fact, you kind of like it that Google sees your email because they run anti-spam. Right? They run anti-malware on the attachments. They do some filing for you and sorting. Right? They do some work right. on email. And you can imagine that pod providers could, could provide value as well. So the s- standard allows for all of this. You know, exactly what happens you know, depends on, on how things, you know, sort of how things go. But my guess is most people don't want to run their own pod. Right. So here's the, here's one of the tricky questions. So how do I grant access to this data? Like for, for example, do I individually approve each entity that has access or do I set up rules or both? But here's the kicker. So once I have shared my data, I've, first, I've got all my data to pod. And I say, okay, Facebook, you're allowed to see this and this for this amount of time. What is to prevent them from making secret copies of that data or sharing it with some unauthorized third party? All right. So, so good questions. And some of the answers will be obvious. If I give you access to my data, nothing prevents you from sharing it mm. with everybody. Like, So I, I can't solve every problem. <laughs> and that course like nothing can solve it if i give you access to it you can do what you want you know in the corporate world what'll keep facebook from making secret copies is they'll get caught you know generally companies follow the rules because the the effects of not doing it are so great but what happens is that you know when they have access to it Hmm. so you'll be able to audit what what happens and you know, this again depends on your sophistication. There'll be audit capabilities. You know, my mother is not going to audit who has access to her pod, but I might, you might. Mm-hmm. You know, people misuse privileges. We'll find out. Now, the first question you ask, I think, is the important one. How does authentication work? Because mm-hmm. I might want to grant to, oh, I don't know, my insurance company access to my medical data from this period to this period, but not that medical data because I don't want them to see it. Mm-hmm. Some data from my Fitbit, not some other data, but only for this length of time. We were at a party together. I took photos. The photos are in my pod, you know, instead of being on Flickr somewhere. And you were there too. I grant you access, but now we had a falling out, so I'm going to withdraw access. So there's a lot of sophistication in granting this these rights. And you'll have lots of ways of doing it. There'll be rules, there'll be individual granting, there'll be revocations, and there'll be auditing. So the spec allows for all of those things, and then the individual apps will give users, you know, as much control as makes sense. And you can always override those things. But I think that is certainly the key to making this work. Who do I grant access to for what? I'm going to have my email in my pod. I'm just making this up. No one gets access. Photos, I'm, I, you know, my vacation photos, maybe they're going to be world-readable. Mm. It was from a party. Only people who attended the party can see those photos. You know, just like on all the sites that we have, we, we grant access to a variety of different granular degrees. This is no different than that. So it sounds like, and, and this was a, 
one of the questions I had, it sounds like I was going to ask if this would obviate the need for things like GDPR and CCPA, which are the few, you know, privacy regulations that have managed to come into, into being. Sounds more like it won't. So we still, so maybe right. it will allow, the technology will allow for that sort of thing, but we still would need rules, aka reg- regulations, to, to enforce them. And that's exactly right. We were asked that question by a potential customer. And you are right. It doesn't. You still need those rules, but pods and this system and, and solid is a way to instantiate those rules. You have GDPR establishes a set of rules of what companies can or can't do. We can turn those rules into specified privileges using the solid spec. So, in a sense, GDPR is you know what can uh, companies ask of me. And what kind of rights do I have to either grant or not grant the accesses they want? And Solid would be a way to do that. It, it's nice because you do get some of that auditing built in. Mm. Again, I mean, I grant you access as my doctor. I could know if you start rooting around. Mm. And I can call you and say, hey, you know, I know you're my doctor, but what the hell are you doing <laughs> looking at? Right? Yeah. Cre- are you a creeper or something? <laughs> Like, I mean, Facebook totally is a creeper. Oh, so, yeah. you know, know that. Well, speaking of which, so I got to ask, are, are any of these big tech companies, in particular ad tech companies, which, you know, Facebook and Google are technically ad companies, are they on board with any of this? I mean, we, we've seen just this week how Facebook is pushing back really hard on Apple for just giving transparency to the kind of data they want access to. That's impressive. So we have a bunch of pilots with some big names, and, God, and I, I, I wish I remembered who, who we're public about, so I'm not going to actually mm-hmm. go on the uh, Inrup website and, and when we talk about it. My guess is the big companies like the Facebooks and Googles won't be early adopters of this. You're going to see smaller ones first hmm. who might be competitors or, 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 or you know, starting up right. and, and would use the solid data structure. And that someone like a Facebook would be a latecomer to something like this, even if it is a pod that they would control and not this public pod. And, and so, so this is actually, I think, interesting. I've been involved in more or less degree in many companies trying to put data privacy back in the hands of, of <laughs> yeah. individual users, and they all fail mm. right? because nobody wants it. Solid the reason solid is going to be different is interesting. The solid data structure is valuable even if you don't care about the vision. Hmm. And so the data structure of a pod for an individual where the data is there in free form and can be accessed and manipulated is a powerful thing. Hmm. Okay. And so one of the pilots is the government of Flanders. Right, then this is this is the benefit of being sent to Sir Tim Berners Lee. Like the government of Flanders uses your stuff, and they're going to be using these pods, but they're going to be controlling them. So it's not going to be you have your pod, mm. and you get to put it where you want. It's the government; they're going to keep your pod. That's okay to start because the data structure is valuable, and then when people start getting pods, they start seeing other uses for them. Right, so if you are an insurance company or a bank. You might say, we're going to use this solid data structure, but we want control. 
because mm-hmm. right this is 2020 the internet everyone wants control mm-hmm. and so so there is a way to bootstrap this that doesn't require right everyone to have a pod before a pod is useful to everyone to have mm-hmm. and then slowly because again you can virtualize these things your pod gets built up so you might have one physical pod your insurance company and then one with the government of Flanders and then one with, with uh, you know, your bank. And logically, they're all linked together, so you see them as a user as just one pod that's yours. And then I think slowly over the years, as this becomes more popular, companies start being willing to let go. And then your pod actually becomes yours. So I see a migration path, which I almost never see for these mm. kinds of technologies. And that's powerful. Well, and and it ideally, if it, it if you take us to a logical conclusion, it, it, we have data portability now, which we really don't have. If if I could, for example, keep my Facebook data in a pod that I control in a format that I, that is open and a standard, then if the Facebook competitor comes along, I could just transfer my data, right? That's right. Now Facebook will hate that, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, well before we get there, but that's the idea. That even though you might not have your pod on your person, like your email, mm-hmm. you can move it. Right? I have the schneier.com domain. It, my email is hosted by somebody. If they do a bad job, I can take it and move it. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, I, I'm still schneier.com even though my email is hosted somewhere, my webpage is hosted someplace else. I have that autonomy to pick that up and move it. And that's what we'll be able to do with pods. My pod will be, let's say it's with Apple, and if Apple starts doing a bad job, I can take it and move it. And that gives a lot more autonomy. And also you know, means the companies will like spend at least half a second trying to keep my business. Right, we hope. We hope. <laughs> yeah. All right, so you, you've mentioned government, so I've got to ask the other elephant in the room question here, and that is, with this new system that, Tim's laid out. How do we handle lawful access to this data now? And even if we have in our country laws that we follow, what about securing it against nation state actors and three-letter agencies that may not respect the, our constitution or my right to privacy? So again, we get back to problems we can solve and problems we can't <laughs> solve. So it, it will be like your email address. Right? So it's the same thing. How do you secure your email? Well, you know, you give it a Google and hope they do a good job. <laughs> So it's likely to be much the same. And the same thing with lawful access. You're going to trust whoever you give your pod to to follow whatever rules. Now, you don't like the U.S. rules. You can store your data with the government of Flanders or Canada or Singapore or China or you know, whoever else has, runs pods that you like better. So we can't – it is data. Now, it could be encrypted. So you know that will be a defense if uh, – Whoever is host hosting your pod will allow for encrypted access, and, and there will be pod providers who will. So, you know, we can't, you know, you can't make it hack proof. Mm. But, you know, we're living in a world where we trust these companies to protect us against all sorts of threats. And if you, ha- if you are a, a human rights activist in some, you know, bad government third world country my advice is generally you know get yourself a fully tricked out chromebook because hmm. you know the best you're gonna do because you're not a cybersecurity expert 
is you know Google's ultimate protection package. Hmm. That will be safest for you. You know, and this is going to be the answer is going to be similar. You know, it's it, it's not the best answer. I'd like to give some better protections, but you're trying to balance usability and security and everything else. Sure. So one hopes there will be a pod hoster, which will be you know, I'm going to make this up. Amnesty International could host pods. Mm. They can say, you know, we are going to provide this level of security. Hmm. Now, that'd be neat. Yeah. Respect so powerful in general that it allows for all of these things. And that's why it's so neat. So, again, one more devil's advocate question, and then we'll move on to some uh, some more positive things. Uh, isn't the genie really out of the bottle? I mean, how do we envision all the... I mean, there's so much data that's already out there and loose. Do we envision somehow corralling it again, putting in the genie back in the bottle, or is it just from this point going forward, and as data gets stale, it just ages out, and that's what, you know, this is kind of a slow over time migration. I think it's half and half. I mean, a lot of data is out there, but the Internet of Things is going to be an explosion of data. I mean, all those Internet of Things devices are going to be generating data about you. Mm. Your your appliances, your toys, your your anything in your home, and your business, anything in the city, it'll be just generating all sorts of data. So ideally, that data will be in pods, and, and maybe those devices will come with their own pods. So your thermostat comes with a pod that you link to your pod. Hmm. Some of it, I think, is going to be the data being put back in, data being moved into pods as, as the data structure is adopted more and more. And, and again, it's adopted because it's, because it's powerful and useful, not because you necessarily buy Tim's vision. And then, you know, I think some data ages out. New data goes into pods and slowly move into this world. Now, remember how I started this podcast. How do we get to here? The problems? Things naturally centralize. So this is a decentralized vision, but there will be natural centralizations. Right? Companies like Apple and Google will become dominant pod providers. So we will have to sort of constantly refight that centralization, decentralization battle. But this is a way to, to reset it a little bit, increase decentralization. So I think it's a combination of data going back into pods, the genie going back into the bottles, which, you know, I mean, you know, when genies go back into <laughs> bottles, it's a good thing. I mean, we talk about that and it never happens, but in every Aladdin movie I've seen, <laughs> it just go back into the bottle once in a while. Right. So, that will happen, and then this explosion of new data, more of it will be generated and initially stored in this data structure. All right, so looking ahead to a brighter future, as I really want to do kind of with this this episode, I, I think that we've all, but me in particular, have begun so jaded when we think about data that we want to hoard it, we want to not provide, we don't want to generate any, we, you know, because it's we're just afraid it's going to get out there and come back to haunt us. But I mean, if you look back in science fiction, like Star Trek or some of those other ones where, or even more modern ones like the movie Her, you know, the more utopian version of data where data is a good thing. Like I, if, if I could trust that anybody who had my data would use it strictly for my benefit, a data fiduciary, there's a lot of really cool stuff we could do. I mean, there's a lot of powerful things we could do with all that good things we could do with data, not just for me, but for society. I mean, so, but as a privacy guy, you know, we're kind of, we've been beaten into submission and we kind of think, oh no, data's bad, but it, it, it it's not, it doesn't have to be. And I think that's kind of what, maybe what Tim is, is 
is hoping for. So what, what vision of the future might we have that we, that we, we might not see? If we could trust that our data was not going to be abused, what, what kind of benefits would we, could we look forward to? So I think we don't know because I think it's an explosion like the World Wide Web where we have no idea what's going to happen. But, then, then, I mean, it's, I mean, but think about the kinds of paths. It's all of your data in one place in a way that could be manipulated. Right? If you can trust that the data from your Fitbit can be combined with the data from your doctor and oh, your refrigerator who knows what you've eaten, sort of all together for your health, that'd be fantastic. And if all of our medical data could be combined in a way for researchers mm. to do massive studies of drugs and lifestyle and uh, environmental factors, I think the medical results would be amazing. Uh, if you can track movements in cities and learn about how resources are being used. And all of these ways, data, if you just, if you just remove privacy concerns, hmm. like it, it's magically solved, I think it unlocks things that we just can't even dream of yet. Yeah. This feels like a step in that direction. I mean, you know, back in the real world, we have these privacy concerns, and that's why you know people like you and I tend to be pretty backwards in <laughs> sort of stuff we use because we say Fitbit. Oh, no way, I'm wearing that. You <laughs> right. crazy? You know, but wearing a Fitbit's kind of fun, mm. and I'm a little jealous of the people who wear it and know all the things I don't because I don't want that data generated and given to I don't know whoever owns Fitbit these days. I forget. Right. It, it, it really is a conceptual leap that is going to change things in ways we can't think of the same way the web did. And it's really neat to do that twice in your life, mm. like to change the world. I'll tell you another thing. Uh, it is really neat to be the second most famous co- person in a company. <laughs> the new experience for me, and I kind of like it. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been fantastic. One, one more quick, well, maybe two part question. Then we'll let you go. I know you're, uh, you've got to go. So, um, real quick, where, where do things stand now? Has this been implemented? And if I'm interested in this, how might I get involved or how might I support these efforts? Uh, so, uh, it exists. The solid spec is real, uh, interrupt, uh, earlier this month released, uh, the, the first commercial version of the product. So you can go on interrupt.com and figure out how to become uh, a beta customer, how to uh, go to, if you, if you just want to play with it, go to the public implementations that you can download and see the source code and, and work with it on your mm-hmm. own, you know, not even part of the commercial version. So it's all there. The specs are there, and there are, there are working groups as part of W3C that you can get involved in. So if you're, you know, if you're a big company, you want to, you want to go to interrupt and, and look at the commercial versions of the pod server and the pod browser and, and the developer tools. If you are a, uh, a hobbyist or an academic, you might want to go to the public open uh, version of solid and, and use that. Mm-hmm. But there's a vibrant community and come join us. It's kind of fun. Well, I hope it turns out to be everything. Tim hopes it will be. Uh, it would be great if you could revolutionize the world twice over. Uh, we need it. The things have gotten way out of hand. Bruce, thanks again so much for coming on the show and for explaining this to us. Ah, thank you. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you on the 300th episode. Oh, that, I'll take that as a promise. Unless one of us has some kind of COVID-related disaster. <laughs> something. 
Fair enough. Stay safe, Bruce. All right, bye-bye. So big thanks to Bruce for coming on the show and looking forward to him coming back for the 300th episode. Again, you can go to interrupt.com to check out what they're doing there. And you can find links there to solid, uh, the proposal that they've put in front of the W3C for this cool way to own your data. And you could actually, if you really want, if you want to go out you can make your own pod right now and start playing with it. All right, lots more to get to. So let's get to it. Uh, the big one, of course, is the giveaway. So as part of the 200th episode and starting and starting the countdown to 300, We've got a huge giveaway. Uh, let me walk through some of these prizes with you. Uh, so first of all, there's going to be 10 winners. I've got so much to give away, I had to have uh, a lot of winning slots. So uh, first of all, all 10 winners are going to get two things. They're going to get a PDF digital copy of my book. That's worth 35 bucks, And they're going to get a one-year subscription to Malwarebytes, which is a really great software package to protect your Mac and PC. And that's, that's worth 40 bucks. So right off the bat, everyone's going to win something worth at least 75 bucks. So now everybody around the planet is eligible for the digital prizes. In other words, something I don't have to physically ship. So let's talk about those real quick. So first of all, Fastmail, who is a wonderful email provider who is very privacy focused, uh, who I use all the time, is giving one free year of service on their standard level of service, which is worth 60 bucks. ProtonMail, uh, another privacy focused company, which, who I also use, is graciously giving away three $50 gift cards. Uh, and I'll, so that'll go to three different winners and that will cover about a year's worth of their service. And finally, for the digital prizes, Consumer Reports is giving away a subscription, an online subscription as well. And that's worth about 40 bucks. So anybody on the planet is, are eligible for those prizes. Now, for those of you in the, in the United States, uh, possibly Canada, I'll have to look at some of the shipping costs for some of these things. And some of these will be shipped actually from the company. So it's really up to their discretion. But certainly for everybody in the U.S. and possibly for those in Canada, we have some physical prizes to ship as well. And uh, one of them will be a signed copy of my book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. And in addition to that, you'll get some really cool DuckDuckGo socks, the privacy-respecting alternative to Google Search. Those will be fun. Another winner will get a signed hard copy of Cory Doctorow's book, Attack Service, that just came out. We talked to him about that when he was on the show a few months ago. And that is sort of the third book in the trilogy of his, uh, first of which was Little Brother, which I highly recommend reading, followed by Homeland, and then now just more recently, Attack Surface. Great books. And one of these will be signed by Corey, and I'll be sending that one out. Next up, we've got a book bundle from A-Press, who's my publisher. And that will include four books, which I handpicked myself from the A-Press library. Uh, and I picked them out to be not super heavy-duty technical, like A-Press is kind of a technical publisher, but they do have books for everybody, including business folks and just regular everyday people. So I picked out four that I thought would work well. Uh, one is called Data versus Democracy, which is a really great read, and that's by Chris Schaefer, who I've had on the show before. There's one called How to Speak to Tech by Vinay Trivedi. The third is called Plan Your Financial Future by Keith Faverly. I hope I didn't get that name wrong. And finally, another book called The Introverted Presenter by Richard Tierney. So those looked really interesting. I actually got a copy of all four of those myself that I'm going to be checking out too, but that book bundle will go out. That's about 120 bucks worth of books right there. That'll be another prize. And then we got two actual pieces of hardware, uh, computer hardware. Uh, the first is a Winston privacy box. And Rich Stokes uh, is the CEO and founder, and I've had him on the show before. And I actually have one of these boxes myself and I've had one for quite a while. He and I, he and I have actually been kind of trialing it together and we've been playing with it together. Yeah, it's really cool. It's, it's kind of hard to describe, but basically this box sits between you and the internet. So it would be kind of go, 
you know, between your modem and your router so that all your internet traffic goes through it. And it's, it's sort of like a VPN in that it hides your IP address from the places you go, but it also blocks a lot of ads and, and potential malware sites. And even much more than that, it's really cool. And so the way they currently do it, when I, when I got mine, I actually had to buy the box and the subscription. But now that I think they give the box away for free with your subscription. So you will get the Winston Privacy Box and a one-year free subscription worth about 100 bucks. For more information on that, definitely go to Winston Privacy and check that out on the web. That's winstonprivacy.com. It's really neat. You'll definitely want to check that out. And it's a cool prize. Really happy that Rich gave me one of those to give away. And finally, the big one, at least in terms of dollar value, is a Librem 5 Linux-based smartphone. Now, what is that? <laughs> That's a very good question. It's by a company called Purism. And I met the CEO, Todd Weaver, uh, at a conference a few years back and brought him on the show to talk to him. And they basically make computers, laptops, desktops, and now smartphones based on open hardware and open software so that you can feel that you can trust what this thing is doing. This isn't an iPhone. This is not a Samsung phone. This is a very special device. This is, you know, something that if you are seriously into protecting your privacy and security that you would be looking at. So check this one out. You want to go to Purism uh, and that website is spelled P-U-R-I dot S-M, Purism. And just look for the Librem 5 and you'll find all the details there. But this thing's worth like 800 bucks. And because I know Todd, uh, I'd actually, he had sent me a model to evaluate a little while back. And I did kind of poke around a little bit, but I didn't really get to it. I, so I reached out to over the 200th episode come up. I said, hey, Todd, you, do, do, you mind, do you mind if I just give this away? I'd like to give this to uh, one of my listeners as part of the 200th podcast. And he said, sure. So very grateful to him for allowing me to do that. So uh, my loss is your gain. We'll be giving away a Librem 5 Linux-based smartphone with some really interesting privacy and security features. So again, all the, all the products that require physical shipping, those will probably all be U.S. only. If I can make an exception for Canada, I will try, but I can't guarantee it. So how do you enter the contest? I created a nice short link for you to remember. It's bit.ly slash firewalls 200. So again, bit.ly is B-I-T dot L-Y. That's the website. Slash firewalls 200. Capital F I R E W A L L S dash 200. Bitly slash firewalls 200. If you go to that link, it will redirect you to the raffle copter raffle. And there are multiple ways to enter. Uh, you can enter more than once. So you can enter by visiting my Facebook page. You can enter by following me on Twitter. You can get two entry points actually by retweeting a message. You can get two entry points by signing up for my newsletter. And you can get two entry points for listening to this podcast. So you're already ahead of the game. And there's even a couple more other, more other ways for you to enter. So lots of ways to enter. You can enter multiple times. There will be 10 winners and a lot of value to these prizes. So check that out. Go enter the contest. You've got about two and a half weeks to do so. I will be announcing the winner here first on this podcast in three weeks time. That is January 18th, 2021. So I'll need the entries by the prior Saturday, midnight Eastern time, January 16th, 2021. That's how long you have to enter. I'll be reminding you next week, but there's no reason not to just to go do it right after you finish this podcast. Again, that link is bit.ly bit.ly slash firewalls 200 with a capital F. If you go to my website, firewallsdontstopdragons.com, you'll find an article about it there. You can find the link there as well. So you don't have to remember it if you don't want to. Firewallsdontstopdragons.com might be easier for you to remember. And there's a lot of other great stuff there too. What you might want to check out while you're there. So that starts right now. 
and it will last for almost three weeks. I will announce the winners first here on the show, and of course, I'll have your email address when you enter, and so I will also, of course, email all the winners. It's going to be fun. All right, now to the New Year's resolution part. We're looking ahead to 2021. 2020, we're going to put in our rearview mirror. This Thursday is going to be New Year's Eve, and what comes with New Year's Eve but New Year's resolutions, when we think about how we can make our lives better next year. So I've got some great ideas here to add to your to-do list to improve your overall security for your computers and your smartphones and your other internet-connected devices, and to improve your privacy and guard your data. So let me rattle off a few stock answers right right off the bat, because this is something I, I, I beat these dead horses all the time, but that's because these are the most important. But kind of like in Wheel of Fortune, you know, like when they give you R, S, T, L, and E to start with, because everybody always picks those letters, let's just get these out of the way. And then we'll get to some more interesting and different options. So these are the keys. If you have not done these already, you should definitely plan to do these in 2021. Add these to your to-do list. First of all, back everything up. One of the key things you could do to make sure that you don't lose your data is to have backups of that data. And of course, the key data here that we're talking about is the things that you cannot replace. These would be family pictures, family movies, maybe you even have some family recordings, documents that aren't backed up anywhere else, tax documents, financial stuff, medical stuff, whatever documents you may have. If they're stored on your computer and you cannot replace them, you absolutely need to back them up. In fact, you should probably back them up more than one way. So the simplest Maybe the simplest way to do it is to buy yourself an external hard drive, hook that up to your computer and set up either Time Machine on a Mac or use the backup and restore function on Windows and automatically back up all your stuff to that external hard drive. That's a cheap and simple way to go. Unfortunately, the problem with that is if your computer gets flooded, then the hard drive sitting next to your computer is going to be flooded too or tornado or fire or whatever calamity befalls your computer. It's still a it's still a good option. It's still worth doing. It's the easiest. It's the fastest. It's the quickest to back up from. But I would also recommend you back up to the cloud. Personally, I happen to like Backblaze as my cloud provider. And if you back up to the cloud and something horrible were to happen to your computer and the hard drive sitting next to it, you still have a backup of all those crucial files. Next up, use a password manager. The human brain just is not up to the task of having long, strong, crazy, unique passwords for every different website you have. I've got hundreds, literally hundreds of passwords. Uh, most of you, I'm sure, at least have dozens. Even if you just talk about your important accounts, like financial accounts, medical accounts, social media accounts, email accounts, yes, those are all important. They should all have really strong, unique passwords. You should not reuse any passwords. They should be so complicated you can't remember them. That's why you have a password manager. Personally, I like LastPass. They've got a free version that'll do what most people need it to do, and they've got a family version that's not much more expensive. It's like, I don't know, 36 bucks a year or something. But you could also look into one password. That's the number one, and then the word password. That's really good as well. And there's another one called Bitwarden that's also very good. But you need one. Go find one. Use one. And then the next thing you need to do is add two-factor authentication. Because even with really long, strong, great passwords, there are sometimes ways that the bad guys figure out a way to get into your account without your password. So in that case, you need to have a second barrier. We call this defense in depth. And that means that if somehow, some way they figure out your password or they bypass the password mechanism or somehow manage to crack into your password database, they would still need your smartphone to get in because your smartphone is where you have the app running or you receive a text message that has this pin code, this one-time pin code that gets you into your account. You would need both. So that means that even if someone around the planet, China, Russia, North Korea, wherever, tries to hack into your bank account and gets your password, if they don't have their phone, they still can't get in. 
So everywhere you can set up two-factor authentication. If you can use an app like Authy or Google Authenticator, to, those are the best ways to go. They, they're a timed thing. Every 30 seconds, they generate a new uh, six-digit PIN. But if the only option they have is sending you a code via SMS or a text message, that is way better than nothing. So set up two-factor authentication. Now, when you're browsing the web, you need to use a privacy-respecting web browser. Chrome is not such a browser. It's very popular. It's actually pretty secure. But from a privacy standpoint, it's just a nightmare. So you really want to be using something else. Uh, on a Mac, you can get away with using Safari, which is the default. But personally, I like Firefox. It works on both Mac and PC. It actually also works on Android and iOS. It's got some great privacy features. It's adding new ones all the time. And it allows you to use some really good plugins like uBlock Origin. So Firefox plus uBlock Origin is my recommendation for your web browser. And finally, if you really want to do secure messaging, if you really want true end-to-end -end encryption, which means that only you and the recipient can read the messages, you need Signal. It is the gold standard for end-to-end -end encryption. It's an open-source software project done by some really, really smart people who really care about privacy. And it's completely free. Now, normally, if it's free, I would say if the product is free, then you're the product. But in this case, this is a truly altruistic organization creating this tool for everybody, backed by an organization that takes donations and is doing some really great work. So the trick is, of course, with messaging apps, unlike email that works no matter who your provider is, everybody you talk to also has to be using Signal. So part of your New Year's resolution is to get other people to install Signal and use it as well, your friends and family. All right, so that's kind of like my lightning round of, of some ideas. Now let's get to some more fun ideas. And let's start with some of my favorite past guests, some of the people that represent companies that donated some of these wonderful prizes for the giveaway. And we're going to start with a guy named David Reese. And I've had him on the show, I think, four, four times now. Originally, he was with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the EFF, and I had him on a couple times then. And then he went off to Malwarebytes, uh, where he is now. And he's doing some really great work there, including he has a podcast. In fact, uh, I may be on his podcast at some point soon. And he will definitely be coming back to our show. But let's get started with David Reese's idea for your to-do list, your New Year's resolutions for 2021. Hey, Carrie. First of all, a huge congratulations for hitting your 200th episode. It's a serious milestone, and I'm so grateful to be a part of it in any way. For listeners at home, my name is David Reese, and I'm a senior online privacy advocate and threat content writer for Malwarebytes. What I'm doing this year as a cybersecurity New Year's resolution is I'm actually, let's say, auditing my router. There's a reason here. This month, my internet was acting spotty, so I logged into my router's web portal to do a simple reboot to see if it helped. It didn't, which is a longer story, but while logged in, something caught my eye. My device connection history, so the list of every active and past device that had ever connected to my personal password-protected Wi-Fi was enormous. I'm talking at least 30 or 40 devices. Now, I get it. This was a historical list. So it included things I simply don't use or own anymore, like older smartphones or game consoles. But still, the numbers shocked me. Worse, for most of the devices, I didn't know the actual device name or type just the address it used to connect to my router, meaning that all I could see was essentially a string of numbers and letters. So this year, I'm doing an audit. I'm first changing my Wi-Fi password and then requiring, at first, 
for devices to be granted access when trying to connect to my Wi-Fi. This will let me actually label what device is attached to what address. And it will let me block unknown devices using unknown addresses. Will this cause issues when I have a friend come over who is trying to connect to Wi-Fi for the first time again, and then I have to log into my router's web portal to grant them access? Yes, undoubtedly. But how soon am I going to have guests over during a pandemic? Not soon at all. So that's for future me to figure out. Happy holidays and be safe out there. Now, it's a great idea, and I'm, but I want to add to that a little bit. If, it's a, if you find it a little bit too, maybe a little too restrictive to lock down your network to only very specific devices, there's another way you could go with that as well. Most modern routers have a guest network. Uh, so really, it's like having two routers in one. And the devices that are on the guest network are segregated from a networking standpoint from the devices that are on the main network. So uh, what I often recommend people do is to have their guests... Uh, join the guest network only because you don't know where the devices have been and they might not either. And if their devices are infected with something and they, you bring them into your network and allow them to connect to your main network, then while they're on your network, those compromised devices can be sniffing around your network and trying to hack your devices. And furthermore, uh, in a similar vein, your IOT devices, your Amazon fires, your video doorbells, your webcams, your toaster, your Roomba, whatever these other devices you have, they're connected to the internet. Generally speaking, they don't need to talk to anything else in your network. They just need to talk to something out in the cloud. So put those on your guest network as well. All right, moving on. Next up is Dr. Andy Yen from ProtonMail. Hi, this is Andy Yen, the founder of ProtonMail. We recommend using passphrases instead of passwords. A passphrase is a password that consists of four or more random words. So an example passphrase might be Black Ocean Texas Zebra. A passphrase likely has the same amount of entropy as a typical password, but it is much easier to remember. As the best password is one that you can remember, we recommend using passphrases instead of passwords. So you might think, you know, these are words, right? You're not supposed to use English words as your password. Well, this is a passphrase. It's a little bit different. And the, and the reason it's okay is because when you start using words, your password becomes really long. And if you did the math, if you've got a 12-character password that has a mix of uppercase, lowercase, numbers, and special characters, then that has about the same level of entropy, in other words, difficulty to guess, basically, of a 26-character password made up strictly of lowercase letters. And if you want to check that math, a great tool for this is the Password Haystack website uh, from Steve Gibson. If you just search on Password Haystacks, you'll find the site. Uh, you can check that out for yourself. But when you're using words and you make sure you have a longer password, that does make for a very secure password. Now, the other thing is you can't be picking these words yourself because if you do, then it's going to severely limit what you're picking and it's going to have a pattern that could be associated with you. So to do this right, you really have to pick random passwords. And a great way to do that is that there's a thing called Diceware. Uh, and if you go to the Electronic Frontier Foundation, they've got a version of it there. But basically you take regular old six-sided dice and they've got a little dictionary there and you roll, they tell you how to do it and you roll the dice and you come up with, you know, four to six words from their dictionary list uh, that you've picked at complete random. Uh, but the kind of fun thing with English words is once you get the words, you can usually come up with some really cool mnemonic device for yourself to remember what those words are. And it's, you only have to remember four to six words. And now all of a sudden you've got a killer password or passphrase. Okay, next up is Helen from Fastmail. She's great. I met her at a webinar on privacy, and she's got a really cool idea. 
Hi, I'm Helen Horseman, Product Director of FastMail, a privacy-friendly email provider. Make 2021 a year of building your online privacy. Register a personal domain and use it for your email. With domains, you get more than a distinctive digital identity. They can protect your privacy by letting you use a unique email address for any person, business, or online account that lets you see who's sharing information about you. With FastMail, you can even use more than one domain at the same cost. I wish you all a privacy-forward, happy and healthy 2021. Congratulations to our friend Carrie on 200 episodes. So getting your own domain name uh, is really simple. It only costs like 15 bucks a year. You can pick, well, you can't pick whatever you want because a lot of the good names are taken. But if you come up with a domain name you like, it can basically be your email address for the rest of your life. And as Bruce was saying, actually, you made references as well. He's got Bruce at Schneier.com. So he bought the domain Schneier.com. Uh, and made his email address, Bruce at Schneier.com. And when you own the whole domain, you own every email at that domain. So not only does he own Bruce at Schneier.com, he owns, uh, you know, whatever at Schneier.com. He owns Carrie at Schneier.com. And behind the scenes, you can associate that domain name and email address with whatever email provider you want. And you can change them too, which is really nice. So if you are using one email provider and you don't like them, you can switch to somebody else like FastMail. And no one else will know the difference. They'll still keep using that email address and they will still, and you will still get email sent to that address. But behind the scenes, you've picked and are choosing a different email provider. And FastMail is really good about doing that. They have great support for that. And in fact, being an engineer geek dad that I am, this year for Christmas, I got my two daughters. I'm going to give them their own web domain. They get to pick it out, whatever it is, and I will help them set up a FastMail account associated with that domain. So that's a great idea. I love that idea. Now, somebody else I met at that same webinar is Bia from DuckDuckGo. And she's got our next tip. Hi, this is Bia from DuckDuckGo, and my tip for 2021 is to write some postcards to friends. Even if you're not ready to delete Facebook or delete your Instagram accounts or TikTok or whatever you use, you can start moving more and more of your communication with friends offline or at least out of social media. So text, use Signal, write postcards, write letters, pick up the phone, Anything other than scrolling your social media feeds, your relationships will benefit from it and your privacy will certainly benefit from it. And if you must use Facebook, I recommend that you delete the mobile app and use Facebook in a privacy respecting browser where it can't ping your phone in the background, for instance. So you don't have to delete it. Use it less. Get in touch with friends. It's going to feel good. You're going to make yourself happy and you're going to make your friends happy. So get your best pen out and start writing. And so I wanted to include some different ideas here and B had a great one there. If you can't get yourself off Facebook and some of these other social media things, try going old school. Try sending a real, real life letter. And on a similar vein, let's talk to Marshall Irwin from Mozilla, the maker of Firefox. My name is Marshall Irwin. I'm the chief security officer at Mozilla. Here at Mozilla, we do a lot of complex technical work to try to build a more secure internet. It's complex work that's often covered on podcasts like this. You know, sometimes, though, the most important things are also the simplest. And in that context, I want to suggest that everyone in the new year reach out or email your local election official and say thank you for the recent work that they've done. Now, over the past few years, a huge amount of effort went into protecting our election. It's everything from protecting voter registration databases to penetration testing against our election infrastructure and ensuring that we have paper audit trails so that we can look back and confirm that our elections all went uh, as intended. And, you know, that's uh, work that was done by 
an unseen army of election officials and poll workers who showed up really even in the middle of a pandemic to do the job. And that is really a thankless task. And in the new year, I think we should all take a moment to reach out and explicitly say thank you. So again, whether it's a physical letter or whether you go to their website and let them know, it's important that we let our representatives know that we are seeing what they're doing, we appreciate what they're doing, and perhaps let them know that we are voting for them because of what they're doing so that they'll keep on doing it. And similarly, there's a lot of great organizations out there doing some work as well, and that will bring in Todd Weaver from Purism. Howdy, this is Todd Weaver, founder of Purism. There are three areas you can help influence positive change in digital rights. And you can do all three. Regulatory, activism, and the market. First, regulatory. You can simply set up a monthly donation to Electronic Frontier Foundation at EFF.org, Free Software Foundation at FSF.org, the Fourth Amendment Center of the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers at NACDL.org, or Public Knowledge at publicknowledge.org. These groups care about you and your civil liberties online. You want them to work hard on your behalf because society benefits. It is easy, so go do it. Second, activism happens to also be simple. Just forward this request to donate to these same groups to another person. Another area of activism is use and mention products that help digital society rather than hurt it. Which brings me to the third area, the market. This is voting with your dollars. If you buy and use products from companies who support digital rights, your dollars are used to build better products that help the market. And I'm pretty sure the great thinker, Carrie Parker, once said, be the change you want to see in the world. Thank you. So it is important. I completely agree. It's important that we support these organizations and these companies that are doing the right thing. The organizations need your help. They're mostly donation-based. They're out there fighting for you whether you do or not. So it's, you know, sometimes if you can't get involved yourself, it's, you know, you may as well pay someone else who's already doing it for you and doing a great job. But it's also important that we financially support companies and uh, that are doing the right thing, that are trying to create products that protect our security and our privacy for a couple of reasons. First of all, the more money we give them, they stay alive to make other great products and improve the products we already have. And also because other companies that maybe not be doing that already competitors for these companies might look and say, hey, oh, hey, these guys are getting my business because I'm not paying attention to what they want. And they obviously want privacy. So it's a win-win all around when we support these organizations. Now, as far as <laughs> as far as me being the one that said, uh, be the change you want to see in the world, I cannot take credit for that. Uh, actually, that line is often credited to Gandhi. And turns out he didn't really say that either, or at least so the web tells me. But I certainly appreciate the thought and agree with the sentiment. All right, just a couple more here. Uh, let's hear from Rich Stokes, who is the CEO and founder of Winston Privacy. Hey, this is Rich Stokes, founder of Winston Privacy. My top suggestion is for Android users to break away from Samsung and Google phones and switch to a privacy-friendly alternative like OnePlus. It's not only a better mobile device with a longer battery life, it also turns off location sharing by default and alerts you when apps try to access it. And when you get that shiny new mobile phone, do yourself a favor and don't install Facebook or Instagram. These apps send everything they can back to the Facebook social graph where can and will be used to influence you. Stay private, my friends. All right, next up, Corey Doctor. We had him on the show a couple times and he was on recently uh, talking about his new book and talking about the Apple versus Epic lawsuit and all that whole kerfuffle, which is still going on. But he's got a really important tip for us as well. 
Hi, this is Cory Doctorow from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And while there are many things you can do to make yourself more secure, you can go and look at our security self-defense guides for more on that, I want to tell you today about the limits of that. That if you really want to be secure, it's not enough to turn on two-factor authentication or make sure your hard drive is encrypted. You should do that stuff. But ultimately, the thing that makes you secure is the rule of law. It doesn't matter how long your passphrase is or how many bytes your key has. If someone is allowed to throw you in jail if you don't tell them what the password is or if you don't unlock your phone for them. And so I'm going to say that if you want to defend your security, you've got to get involved in a movement. You've got to get involved in a movement that defends the rule of law and human rights in digital spheres. And Electronic Frontier Foundation, they are the vanguard of that movement and have been for 30 years. And so as, as much as I would love to be able to just tell you, do X, Y, and Z, and you will be safe, I don't think you will be. I don't think any of us are going to be safe until we have an accountable state that limits its authority based on principles of human rights. And that's what EFF has been doing for 30 years, and that's what it's going to keep on doing. So again, if you really want to take it up the next notch, it's great to donate to these uh, organizations. But if you if you really want to take it up a notch in 2021, find a way to actually get involved. Certainly get informed, learn, learn more about these causes. And, you know, you don't have to go over the top. You just sound like you have to be marching on Washington every weekend. But maybe, you know, find a local meetup. The Electronic Frontier Foundation has this thing called the Electronic Frontier Alliance, where they've got a lot of local groups, grassroots kind of things that they help support. Maybe you can find an EFA branch near you. And just attend a couple of meetings and webinars, of course, for now, because we're in COVID. But, you know, just getting out there and kind of meeting the people that are doing this and hearing what hearing about what they're talking about might get you incentivized enough to actually get out there and, oh, who knows, stuff some envelopes or even maybe go to a protest in your local area. All right. And last but certainly not least, let's hear from Dr. Ann Kavukian, who is, if there was a Bruce Schneier of privacy, this would be Ann Kavukian. She has been the privacy goddess for decades now, literally decades. She has been touting privacy by design since before I even started my software career. And she's got a very timely message for us for 2021. Hi there, this is Ann Kavukian. And I want to give you my thoughts on a New Year's resolution. And I'm imploring you to do this. Please do not give up. Do not give up on privacy. Do not give up on freedom. Privacy forms the foundation of our freedom. It's absolutely essential. And I know surveillance is mounting, but there's so many countervailing views against it as well. Encryption is growing end-to-end. Synthetic data is growing. An extension of de-identifying data with strong re-identification protocols. Synthetic data is amazing. And also, there's a movement to decentralize identity. There's actually a decentralized identity foundation now consisting of all the large companies, Microsoft, IBM, etc., where you would be in control of your identifying information instead of it residing in a central database, which could be accessed by third parties unknown. So please do not give up on privacy. It's essential to our freedom. Freedom to me is everything. So let's do that and let's make this a truly happy new year. So thank you, Anna. Thank you, everybody. Those are all great sentiments, really great ideas for you to improve your life in 2021 and honestly, all of our lives. Even for some of these technical things, the more that we all do them, it's kind of like herd immunity for viruses and mass surveillance. The more of us that do these very simple things, and, and a lot of these things, again, I love my analogies, but it's it's kind of like wearing sunscreen, wearing seatbelts, 
installing smoke alarms, locking your front door, putting your person in your trunk when you leave the car. These are all inconvenient things that we've had to learn to do over the years because that's, that's just life. And the more we do these things, the more we help ourselves and really help everybody. And, you know, security is often at odds with convenience. To have more security, to have more privacy, sometimes we have to be less convenient. But like these other things I just mentioned, we've all gotten used to these things and we don't even think twice about them now. That's just the way things are and things are better because we do those things. Don't give up. There's a lot we can do. We've talked about some of those things today. My book's got 170 things that you can do. Most of them free, a lot of them simple, some of them not, but I think, I really think we're about to turn the corner, both on privacy and security. With all the ransomware attacks we've had, all the data breaches we've had, this massive solar winds hack that we're going to be talking about next week, we need to do better. We need to make some fundamental changes in how we operate. We need to, the manufacturers of our computers and smartphones need to step up their game. We need to take some action into our own hands. Some of, you know, some of the things we've talked about here today. And I think with all the privacy scandals with Cambridge Analytica and, you know, documentaries like The Social Dilemma, I think we're finally reaching the point where we're all understanding that this stuff is really important. It's very consequential and it's time to make some changes. And once we do, things will get better. Speaking of which, I've, what, I've got two more things to share with you, two other ideas for you for 2021, and then we'll wrap it up. First of all, get the COVID vaccine as soon as it's available for you. I don't know why this has become political. I don't know why people think it's bad. It's not. It's science. It works. And it's essential for us to do this before we can move on from this pandemic. We need herd immunity, true herd immunity. And the way we get there is we need to vaccinate 70 to 80% of the populace. And when we get there, when we finally develop this, we can, we can stop wearing the mask. We can start getting back together in public again. We can go out to eat. We can visit our relatives for the holidays. We need to get back there. And to do that, we all have to work together. So until then, actually, even after you get the vaccine, but until we get to this herd immunity stage, which, you know, if all goes well, maybe this summer, keep wearing the masks, stay indoors when you can, avoid large social gatherings, definitely avoid them if they're indoors. And again, get that vaccine as soon as it's available to you. It's free and very, very effective. All right, I'm going to give one more challenge to you, one more New Year's resolution idea, and then we'll wrap this up. Kind of along the lines of what David was saying, David Reese was saying, uh, go to your Wi-Fi router. There's a lot of stuff you can do there, and I'm going to give you a few suggestions. So go log into your Wi-Fi router, and if you don't know how to do that, uh, you can go to my website, firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. There's an IoT security blog there that will give you some information about how to figure out what the default password is for your particular router. And if you haven't changed that password, that's job number one. Change the, change the default password on your router. If you don't, anything that can get into your network will probably guess that password and hack your router. And once your router's hacked, you're in trouble. So first and foremost, find the admin webpage for your Wi-Fi router, change your admin password. Use LastPass to remember it and generate it. Then while you're in there, you should be able to find a list of all the clients, all the DHCP clients. And that's just a fancy term for all the things connected to your wireless or wired network through your router. Your router basically is in charge of assigning IP addresses for anything that wants to connect to your network. Those are the IP addresses. And you should be able to find a list of all currently connected devices to your router. If you're lucky, they will also show you the device names or the host names for those things. So you don't just see a number, you'll see something like Fire TV or iPhone or Roomba or whatever. But regardless, you need to print off that list and you need to make sure that you know what each one of those devices are. Do an audit, figure out all the devices that are connected to your network. If that device shouldn't be connected to the network, take it off, unplug it, turn off its Wi-Fi. whatever it takes. If it doesn't need to be on the network, take it off. 
Next, if it's got software that could be updated, make sure that it is updated. And then in particular, your Wi-Fi router. It may not be straightforward, unfortunately. There might not just be a single button click. You might actually have to go and download a file and do a few other things, but figure out what it takes to update the software on those devices and get them updated. That is crucial, especially for your router. And then if you find a device on your network that cannot be updated, honestly, I would get rid of it and replace it with a device that can. All software has bugs and you've got to be able to fix those bugs when they are found and updates are made available. If there's some way to turn on automatic updates, go ahead and do that. Otherwise, if you find that you have to do it by hand, then set yourself a reminder once a month or so, check those devices and make sure there's no updates. And another way that you could do that is register those devices with the companies and hopefully they'll send you an email when there's an update to be had that you need to be installing. But again, if you've, if you run across a really old device on your network that can't be updated, I would seriously consider removing it from your network or replacing it with one that can be updated. And finally, if you haven't enabled your guest network already, I would go ahead and do that. And I would move as many of your IOT devices, your Roombas, your toasters, your fridges, your microwaves, your fire TV sticks, your Apple TVs, anything that needs to connect to the internet, but doesn't really need to get to any other devices on your home network. Put those on the guest network, isolate them, keep them away from your computer and your smartphone and the things that you would prefer not get hacked because if any one of those devices gets hacked, you want to keep that separate from your juicy devices, the devices that have a lot of really good data or could get up to a lot more mischief if they do get hacked. I know that covered a lot of ground and maybe you don't know how to do a lot of those things. Uh, you can search the web for those things. Of course, a lot of those things are also in my book, complete with pictures and step-by-step -step instructions, but that's my challenge to you. You've got a year to do it. 2021, put these on your to-do list and make some time to start checking these things off. Okay, I realized that was a lot of stuff, but uh, don't worry about trying to remember all of those ideas. Uh, just go to firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com and you will find my New Year's resolution blog entry right there at the top with all of these items listed there and with all the links you need and all the good stuff. So don't worry about remembering it, just go to the blog. In fact, I'll put a link to that entry in the show notes for, the, for this podcast. And if you go there, you'll also find a blog article for the 200th podcast, uh, which will be updated to include all the info about this massive, colossal, dare I say, Brogdignagian contest. This will include the list of prizes, how to enter the giveaway, the deadline, all the info you need. I know you have almost three weeks to do this, but don't delay. There's no time like the present. And once the new year starts, you're going to get busy and forget to do it. So just go do it right now. Now, I've recently been begging you guys to give me some uh, brand new, fresh reviews for the podcast on iTunes and the book on Amazon, promising to host a private AMA or an Ask Me Anything session for those that write reviews. Uh, I will have more info about that next episode, so stay tuned. We've got a lot of big shows coming, actually. Next week is a big news show. We'll talk about that Solar Winds hack, some of the Facebook lawsuits, some kind of back and forth between Facebook and Apple about privacy, which is kind of funny, and even a story about some butt pajamas. You'll find out what I mean next week. And after that, we've got our interview with Helen from Fastmail. That'll be a two-parter. That's great. You'll want to tune in for that. Just go subscribe and you won't miss any of this goodness in 2021. So huge, huge and humble thank you to everyone who provided the prizes for the giveaway and great ideas for the New Year's resolutions. I want to thank Corey and Anne and David, Todd, Rich, Helen, Bia, Andy, Marshall, and of course, Bruce. Thank you guys so, so much for helping out with this really important big milestone podcast episode. Everybody, just keep your chin up. It will be better. 2021 has to be better than 2020. And I ran across a really interesting quote that I'll end with here. And it says, the bad news is time flies. The good news is you're the pilot. 
Take care, everybody. Stay safe. And until next week, don't get caught with your garbage down. <laughs>